This is the Faith Ventures Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, telling stories of Christians doing business for the glory of God. If you appreciate this program, support the nonprofit work of LCI by donating at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. And if you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. Welcome back to Faith Ventures, where we tell inspiring stories about Christians doing business for the glory of God. We are joined today by very interesting gentleman, Phil Alford. He's a certified financial planner and investment manager with Values First Advisors and is an expert in biblically-based financial plans. So, Philip, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here and talk to you today about your perspectives on all these things. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the invite and happy to join. So first off, I want to kind of get back to your personal history and tell us how you kind of arrived at this position of being a, a financial planner with this biblically-based you know, kind of methodology of doing investment. How does that work? Yeah, so I would say the thing that characterizes my career journey is unlooked for. So I actually started out studying both business and biblical studies in college and was a uh, church planting resident. I was intending to, to plant a, a church, but I wanted to follow in the footsteps of the, the men in my family who had all been bivocational ministers. And so, for instance, my father was a, both a, a math teacher and a pastor. And so I kind of stumbled into financial planning. One of our church elders was a Raymond James financial advisor. And I just grabbed lunch with him one day and I said, tell me what you do. I've, I've got you know no context for investments or financial planning. And he told me how he created value for his clients and how money touched all of life. And that's really started my journey into to looking into those things. And so got on with Edward Jones in 2016 and was with them for four years, had the privilege of assuming responsibility for an existing practice in Western North Carolina. And I began to get some experience under my belt working with clients and hearing all of the different ways that money was touching their lives and all of the different issues, problems, convictions, fears that were associated with money. And moved to Fidelity in 2020 during COVID so we could move closer to home in Johnson City, Tennessee, where we are, and got exposed to you know the largest broker-dealer in the world and investment options from every angle and every corner, and also the issues that come along with that when people are trying to invest with their conscience and they don't know how to to do that, and they don't have a lot of help in doing that. And so, in earlier this year, I had uh, the opportunity to speak with Values First Advisors, where I am now, and I knew that I wanted to get smaller, have a greater sense of control over the advice that I gave, being a Christian in the marketplace, and have a greater sense of purpose behind the way that we invest and having greater control over the actual investments that we're choosing. And so a guy in my men's discipleship group was a, was a financial planner here at Values First Advisors, and they had a transition happening, and I was able to come on board in, in February. And so I started to help the firm right away to develop a biblical stewardship model for financial planning. And so we kind of look at five main areas of, of financial planning and then kind of use a biblical stewardship framework 
around that. And so kind of the tagline, and it's especially popular in our, our industry for Christian financial advisors is God owns it all. Yep. You know, and so how do we steward what God has given us and how do we live generously? How do we create value with our finances? And, you know, how do we further kingdom objectives, you know, in God's rule and reign in the world through our lives with what he's given us? And as the, you know, the investment side of it is really just looking at companies with positive and negative screens and trying to find companies that we do want to invest in. They have investment merit, but then they're also exhibiting Christian values, traditional Christian and American values. So sometimes they call it, you know, biblically responsible investing. There's also an element of, of patriotic investing. You know, we're primarily American companies that we invest in. And we do it all with the greatest sense of control, you know, handpicking these companies, keeping an eye on them. One of our companies talks about the fact that they will not hesitate from a Twitter post that goes against Christian values to drop a company. And so we, with a lot of, with a lot of pride and a lot of energy and enthusiasm, we help our clients get excited about how they're investing in companies that create value in the communities in which they live and work. So that's, this is really interesting to kind of talk about a, a biblical stewardship model. And you, you outlined a few of those points. I want to keep unpacking that a bit. When you say, you know, we have this biblical stewardship model, you want to invest in companies that are exhibiting certain types of qualities. You want to further kingdom objectives and so on. Unpack that a little more. What, what other things do you kind of think about as you're approaching, especially teaching that to people? And what lessons can perhaps... Christians who are listening to this, and maybe if they're, you know, maybe if they're not necessarily in line with all of the aspects of what that looks like, what can, what would you generally kind of want us to understand about that and that we can immediately take the heart? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just go over the five areas that we teach. And so what we talk about here at what we call VFA Values First Advisors is we really believe that we're on the mission of God just like anybody else. And we do, we just get to do that in the workplace. And so how we disciple our clients is through this biblical stewardship framework. And so the five core elements that I noticed in, in studying scripture, and there's some great resources out there like Money, Possessions, and Eternity is a fantastic book by Randy Alcorn. It's, it's a great reference resource, but also in my own personal study, I found things like stewarding faithfully. You know, what does it look like to consider God's interests, the interests of others, when you're putting together a budget, mm -hmm. you know, managing your debt wisely, right? You know, so not getting in over your head when it comes to debt or keeping up with the Joneses and having nicest car or, or the, you know, certain size of house or making sure you've got a pool in the backyard. But how do you manage debt in a way that you're being wise and opportunistic with the way that you use debt? Are you leveraging debt or is debt leveraging you? Yeah, so it's, um, not, it's not a complete eschewing of the idea of debt. And that's something I think there's some Christians that have issues with that. That might be something we want to talk about in, in greater detail in a bit because that's, sure. that's an oft misunderstood aspect. But, Absolutely. but under, wisely using it is really, really crucial, especially if you're going to be in business and an entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, and debt is not something that the Bible forbids, uh -huh. but it is something that it's very clear about as Christians. We're 
we're debt repayers and we're debt forgivers. Interesting. And, yeah. um, you know, and, but another one plan sustainably. So we don't just look at this, you know, what's the budget for this week or today or even this year, but we look down the road and we try to make strategic decisions with our plan. You mm-hmm. know, it's a living, breathing document that we're working on. You know, as God unveils in his progressive revelation mm-hmm. of our lives, you know, that plan needs to be updated. And so we don't want to live at the end of our means. We want to live well within our means to make room for what God might want to use our finances for. Another one is investing prudently, right? We're real, real big on that here. Ecclesiastes 11.2, talking about diversity, you know, really looking at investing is something that's very well encouraged, Old and New Testament. It's something that people did in the ancient world. We forget about that. Yeah. Jesus talks about investing, yep. <laughs> right? And and God expects us, just as God creates out of nothing, he expects us to take what is there and to multiply it. And so we're people who bear fruit, and fruit is multiplicative. It You know, as we, we take fruit, it bears more seeds. And so a lot, of, a lot of good things there. And then the last one that we absolutely love, and we partner with like the National Christian Foundation on this and our clients is give generously. God did not give you resources for you to absorb and to eliminate them. He gave you resources to multiply and bless people with them. And so yeah. not to get too much into covenantal theology, but the idea of you know God's promise to Abraham that through him, the nations would be blessed. We're part of blessing the nations with how we use our money. Yep. And so we just have an incredible capacity, especially as Christians in America, to take what God has given us and to give it generously in a way that actually creates value and changes lives. Well, I'm, so I'm those glad, are our five principles. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you brought up National Christian Foundations. They're an interesting. They're an interesting organization on their own and. You know, for our listeners here, if you're if you're involved with them, you can give to LCI through NCF. It's it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and you can. So we we manage the investments for our clients at NCF. So that's awesome. a really cool thing. Is um, if you're working with an advisor, you can, especially an RIA, a registered investment advisor, they may be able to manage your investments in your fund at National Christian Foundation. So you can be investing in great companies you know, God honoring companies at National Christian Foundation as you give generously. So absolutely. So I I want to zone hone in on one couple of things you kind of said in explicating these principles you operate on. Is one, you want your investments to create value. And then the other about this kind of understanding of debt. And I think this is a really interesting and oft misunderstood aspect of what it means to be to be an investor and somebody who is lending money and, you know, and creating value through that because they're, you know, one, I'm curious to, to hear kind of your perspective on like one misunderstandings have you detected amongst Christians regarding kind of these aspects of money management per se. And how do you go about kind of correcting that understanding either both, both through kind of if biblically great, but also just through evident reason and just helping them to understand. I'll give you an example, at least like for me, one thing that's really helped me from studying and studying economics that's helped me to understand this is the difference between being high prefer- high time preference and low time preference. The idea, do I, do I highly value now 
or do I have a lower value on now and I have a higher value on later? Being if I put a higher value on later, then that's being low time preference versus if I want to just, you know, if I want to enjoy everything right now, immediately, that's being high time preference. And it seems evident through scripture that we ought to be low time preference. We should have this outlook toward the future. But there's also this kind of confusion that seems to occur, especially with regards to money in this regard. And so I'm wondering, how do you, how do you kind of approach that? Yeah. So that's a question, as you've just pointed out, of eschatology. There you go. Right? I mean, it's a yeah. question. How do we view the future as Christians? And I'll never forget a situation early on in my career where I had a very devout Jehovah's Witness client who ironically was going through a divorce and was struggling with the idea that to, to keep her part of the funds that she was receiving from her ex-husband invested. Mm. And because in her mind, she might as well go sit on a hilltop and wait for, for Jesus to come back. So why not spend <laughs> the money on, on yeah. things that she wanted and desired and enjoy it now while she had it? Because because Christ could come back at any second, and not to discount the idea that it won't happen in the twinkling of an eye or like a thief in the night, but I think that for Christians that we live in that already not yet world, mm-hmm. and so we can be ready, as Peter says in First Peter, to to be ready to meet our Lord while also maintaining a long term time horizon with everything that we do, because that's what a good steward does, right? A steward is someone who manages the resources of the kingdom when the king is away. And so the steward doesn't know when the king is coming back. He just knows that he's to do a good job while he is away and manage the the resources of the kingdom as if he were the king. And so the way that I talk about investments with clients is that it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, we're always going to maintain a pretty far out perspective because of how things change over time. So one thing that it's that comes up a lot with investing is looking towards the return of a given investment or a given strategy over the value that it's creating. Mm-hmm. And so we can have short-term, you know, ideas about if but is this a good investment if I'm not achieving 11, 12%. Right. You know, Dave Ramsey told me I, I'm supposed to get a high quality mutual fund that gets me an average twelve percent a year. Why am I not getting that? <laughs> and we miss you know, we miss the idea that that's great if we can get 11, 12%. But what we're more concerned about is investing appropriately, investing with the right perspective, investing according to plan, and doing that with prudence, diligence, and a, a stewardship framework than we are about achieving a certain number every single year. You know, the, the, we don't want to profit from evil as Christians. And so the types of investments that we choose do matter. Investing like the world. That's a hard. That's a hard sell for me. After spending seven years with two of the largest brokerage firms in the world, it's a really hard sell for me to feel comfortable, you know, profiting from evil or, or pumping money into companies that actively go against Christian values. And so, I think those are some of the misconceptions. Is we have a a short time frame, we measure things in very short intervals to determine success because of the speed of information in today's world. Interesting, and so. Let, let's let's get back. I want to talk a little more about the creating value kind sure. of question because the I think I think that perhaps a lot of Christians misunderstand that there is 
value created in the management of funds themselves. You know, some some folks kind of think, well, if and this is actually a very worldly kind of worldly way of thinking about it on some level that if the only thing that's worthwhile in work is if you end up, you know, at the end of your workday having a widget that you made in front of you or something to that effect. And the, this is, I think, most misunderstood as it pertains to financial instruments at times. And so I'm curious, talk to a few folks in, in Faith Ventures already who are, are in kind of the financial world, but seizing upon this with you, because I think framed it in a slightly different way than we've heard it before. And I think this is a great time to unpack this, this type of question. So I guess, again, sort of to summarize the question is like, what have, have you encountered people who really misunderstand the really misunderstand how financial instruments work and create real value that, that, you know, and how do you disabuse them of that notion? Yeah. So it's so much more difficult now in the digital age to connect people to their investments in Mm -hmm. the real world. Right. You know, when I give Apple money by buying their stock, I'm, you know, I'm putting cash in their reserves that they go and they spend on who knows what. Right. Right. And so there's, yeah, I think that is a big thing is that clients don't often feel connected to their investments and they're not always aware of who these companies are and because they, they're not privileged like we are. Like, for instance, one of our investment managers, American Values Investments, they're located here down the street from us. Mm-hmm. They do patriotic Christian investments. We probably once a month hop on a conference call with CEOs of the companies they're investing in and hear directly from them their faith story. We get to hear how they treat their, their clients, how their business is growing. We feel very connected you know, to mm-hmm. the companies we invest in. So I think that's the thing is that on, they look at creating value as adding dollars and cents to my balance. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and they don't see creating value as I'm empowering admirable companies to do what they do in more places for more people. And it's changing the work culture of America in a positive direction when I do that. And so creating value becomes manifold when we have an opportunity to do it that way. But yes, that's a big, big, big thing. We've had a client past two or three weeks. He just can't get over the fact that his investments are down right now. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Welcome to the the free market. eh? (laughs) Right. This great economy, right? (laughs) Yeah. And, And it's hard for him to break into the idea that my money is actually not only, you know, based on historical data, should it return, right? Mm-hmm. You know, should the value should come back. But also that these companies really appreciate the investment that we make in them. These are not Fortune 500 companies. You know, these are what we call SMIDCAP companies. They're, they're small and medium-sized companies mm-hmm. yeah. here in the U.S. that really appreciate your investment. Interesting, um, that, yeah. Yeah, they're going to do, they're going to use that money to, you know, maybe it, it could be like a lot of our companies are in biotech. So they could be developing something for St. Jude's Hospital to help children with non Hodgkin's lymphoma. And you just help them make it to the next clinical trial. But we don't think about that. And so the more that we can connect to our investments and the, co- the actual companies we're putting money into, 
I think the easier it is to stay invested. And our, our clients, some of them have been with us for 40 years. Mm-hmm. What keeps them invested and, and not just looking at numbers of return, which the return has been good, right? But is the fact that they believe in what they're investing in. They're Fa- connected to it on a heart level. And it's fascinating. And being somebody kind of in, you know, in moderately in the biotech business myself, I can appreciate that too. So that's, sure. that's really good. Awesome. Well, what other, what other sorts of challenges do you f- like feel particularly able to overcome when you're working with clients that have confusions about these things? I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, the, what, what sorts of things do you regularly kind of encounter and what do you overcome with that? Yeah, I think there's some big pressure to, to s- sort of build our financial understanding from the culture. Okay. And to look at the culture to tell us how we should be, you know, what's smart. People are so concerned about what's a smart thing to do with the money. Mm. They're, they're desperately looking for that edge or that advantage or trying to squeeze every last dollar, cent, or piece of value out of anything that they get. Because we're a consumer-based market, right? I mean, sure. that's, that's their prerogative is to, to find, discover value People love hidden value as well. And so I think that's probably, that's a very 30,000 foot type of yeah. thing, but it comes down to things like budgeting. You know, what do you really, answering questions like, what do you really need? You know, looking at things like the American dream. That's not a Christian idea. Right. Or even things like early retirement. Not a Christian idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. right? It, you know, Moses was 80 when he started his ministry. So there's, there's lots of things in there where we, we look at having a biblical worldview as a financial planner. You can walk clients through just asking good questions, right? Good open-ended questions. Get them talking on where did their conceptions around money come from and what do they really believe about it? And I think that's probably the most helpful thing that we do sometimes is the math, the data, the financial planning software, all of that's really good tools. But the best thing that we do is just have really honest conversations with clients and help them build their biblical worldview around money. So I think it's everything, right? What do people struggle with? It's all of it because money is complex. We've made it complex in the financial services industry way more than it needs to be. And we've, we've focused on a lot of things and not always the right things when it comes to what's important for your finances. And so we're trying to reshape people's understanding by keeping it simple, helping them understand what their, their view is. And so debt, like you mentioned, is one of those big things. Yeah. You're kind of, you're alluding to the fact that you're, you're constantly doing, you know, customer education. And and you even called it discipling earlier, which is interesting to kind of treat it like that because what you're, what it seems like you're implying, and I think, well, you're explicitly saying this, is that you have biblical principles, God's principles that you're trying to inculcate in your clients, helping them to realize that there's something more to to the their investment life, if you will, than just getting another zero on the end. I think that's, that's an interesting kind of perspective to take because it is, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's fine and dandy and right to kind of take the Milton Friedman approach that, that, you know, we exist as, you know, businesses and corporations 
in order to, you know, maximize returns for the investor, right? There, there's, there's something right about that and whatnot, because that's, that is the function of what you agree to do, you know, assuming that that is what you set forward in your corporation kind of bylaws and so on and so forth. Like that's what you exist to do. But personally, there's something else that we have to do as well. It's not just about personal expansion, but also making a decision about what's important to us down the line. And I think that's, for me at least, it, it, in the conversations I've had with with you and with others, you know, my, my father-in-law, for instance, in financial planning, that's been really important. And I'm glad to hear that's kind of the way you think about it as well. That this, it's all about like making these decisions about what do you want out of life and how are you going to serve yeah, God through? Like that's really right. important. So I think that's really because early retirement, what a what a crock. Like I don't I don't ever want to retire. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing the work. I'm gonna be doing the work until the day I die. You know, yeah. not not necessarily in, you know, in the company that I'm working for now, not necessarily in the industry that I'm doing now, but I'm gonna be doing things. I'm not just gonna sit around and do nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. So do you do yeah. you find that that's like something you're just, dis- you know, also disabusing your, your clients of is those kind of types of perspectives. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. <laughs> That's a really hard one. And, you know, so, so what I find is that the conversation really comes up, it, you know, it can come up in early planning. You know, you take a couple that's in their twenties, they're established, they're just getting established from their careers and they're saying, you know, I'd love to be financially free at 50 and retire and take the RV you know, and go see America, right? They kind of have this super early retirement thing, but I think where it really becomes a deeper conversation is my clients that are in their late fifties, early sixties, and they hit what I call the wall. Okay. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like you're doing a physical exercise, like a hike or a run and you hit the wall and you just say, I just can't go any further. I cannot work these hours, these conditions for this company anymore. I can't stand it. I'm about to lose my mind. I've got to retire, right? You know, my parents worked until they were in their 70s and then they died soon after they retired. I don't want to do that. You know, I'll well, make the lesson. Don't stop working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you never die, and so, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's a hard one because yeah. what, what I think, and I even see, you know, my parents are, are reaching retirement age now. And what I see it even with them is that they just don't believe that they have value mm. to provide. They believe that they're being phased out, that they're the old models and that they, you know, people don't care what they have to say. And I think it's, um, oh, it, it's what you a, just said there is huge. Yeah. So right. that is so huge. They, they don't believe that they hold value for right. what's going on in the world. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm, my, my goal is to help shape their understanding of, hey, from a biblical perspective, elders are some of the most important people. Yep. In God's kingdom. Yep. And when you look at Paul's instructions on on the structure of church, he speaks directly to the older men and the older women because they had immense value. They preserve the heritage of the faith that we have. And I think in the marketplace where that translates is that there are things that you learn through 30 years of labor that a 21-year-old hopping on the scene doesn't know. Yep. That a that a thirty three year old executive doesn't, and I think that we we deceive ourselves when we don't believe that God made us to be value creating creatures. You know, we we are little images of our Creator, and He's a God that 
that creates things to flourish and through maturity, learn lessons that can't be learned otherwise. And so we tell our parents all the time in the church context, please, you know, come to our home group, tell us how, tell us about life. We don't know what we're doing, right? Yes, it's kind of that <laughs> whole thing. And I think it's the same thing in the marketplace. It's, it's don't be afraid to stop by somebody's office that's younger, that's just getting started and build a relationship with them because that brings meaning and purpose to the workplace is human relationships. That's really where we feel fulfilled at work is when we have a great conversation with somebody and we're, we're exchanging ideas all the time with other people. And so that's, that's what makes a workplace endurable for 40 or 50 years Right, is investing in human relationships. And it's exactly what Jesus would be doing if he worked a nine to five at Costco, right? He would be <laughs> investing in human relationships, whether he had a mop bucket or he was checking somebody out the checkout line or he's unloading boxes off of a truck, he would be creating value in the lives of the people that he worked with. I, I bet you if Jesus worked in Costco, he would be in the eye center helping people to see. Gosh, there you joke. go. Bad joke, bad there joke, sorry. No, <laughs> God. Well, whatever, that's, that's all well and good, but... So Philip, this is, this is a really great, this is a really great conversation we're having. And I really appreciate so many of the things you said here. I want to kind of, as we kind of draw to a close a bit, I want to give you kind of my open-ended questions that I let like to ask all of our guests who come on Faith Ventures show. And so first, the, this one is, this, this one is really about reflecting on your career and kind of asking yourself, what do you wish you'd know earlier? In other words, like if you could time travel and tell yourself something, you know, you're 22 years old, you're coming out of college, you're doing what you're doing and you're about to launch your career. What do you want yourself to know? What would you want to tell your, your younger self about life, career, really, your faith, or yeah. kind of whatever? Man, I, sometimes you want to go back and slap yourself <laughs> and, and, and shake and shake you by the collar and say, what are you thinking? <laughs> but I would say, you know, the specific advice is, it's okay to jump in. It's okay to do things with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Yeah. Even if you don't fully know how it's going to go, even if you don't know it's, it's, you're, you're doing the exact right thing, it's okay to, to be a fool and to jump in and to do your best. And I think the other thing that I would say is it's okay to trust the process and drink the Kool-Aid a little bit and not reinvent <laughs> the wheel. Yeah. There's a reason that people, you know, coach you and, and train you to do things a certain way. Proven methods are called proven methods for a reason. And so for, for me, started out door knocking, literally going door to door through neighborhood wow. community trying to build business. And I wish that I could just tap myself on the shoulder and say, it's okay. You can do this. You can dive in, you can yeah. drink the Kool-Aid you're changing people's lives and you don't even know how much value you're creating for them by just being a presence of good and a presence of positivity and a presence that cares about them in their lives. And so that's what I would say, whatever industry you're in, whatever you're doing right now, see it as creating value for the people that you're working with, whether that's a colleague or a customer, or whatever it might be, you're trying to, to be a force of good in the world and it's okay to do that with all of your heart. That's a, it's a really interesting perspective you just gave there. Cause you know, one, one way it's kind of the flip side of the other coin, which is 
you know, like, don't be afraid of failure. You're saying in a, in a sense, not only, not only don't be afraid of failure, but you can jump in with everything you got and it's okay to do. That's a, that's a good word. And I hope that our younger folks who are listening to this will, will really kind of catch that as, as an additional perspective. That's really great. Absolutely. Well, before we go, Philip, would you, do you have any other messages that you would like to kind of make sure that our audience knows and walks away from this interview really remembering at this point? Man, I think, I think we need to be more brave and proud of the fact of, of who we are as God's children. I think that's a really big thing I was thinking about today is just, we take that for granted sometimes and we like to hide yeah. You know, we don't we don't want to rock the boat or disrupt things, especially in business. Mm-hmm. But I think being proud of of who you are and and being proud of God's people, God's church and his word, those are good things. Yep. And whatever way you can inject that into your work, whether in actions or in words or any way that it can come out, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um that so I appreciate what you're trying to do with these these interviews, and I just think that that's that's a great way to build a sense of confidence and that feeling of of having patriotism for God is a is a cool thing. You know, being proud of our nation as God's people that's a cool thing. And that's the best part of of the word patriotism is being patriotic about being part of God's nation. So I'm, yeah thankful for you to reminding us of that too because it's one it's one thing to be you know to remain humble and be and to be grateful but also to be so proud to be part of this grand christian tradition that goes that that goes back to even well (laughs) goes back to christ and it goes back beyond that too so philip thank you so much for being with us here as a guest on Faith Ventures. Really appreciate it. And I know that our audience is going to gain a lot from everything that you said if we'll just take it to heart and practice it. So thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thank you. This has been Faith Ventures and we hope that you've enjoyed this and we will see you next time. 